It's good to see you guys this morning. Um, we're going to have all kinds of, of fun in here. Uh, there was actually a play here last night when we scheduled this. It wasn't on the books that they were having their annual Pinocchio play last night. Uh, so I thought we'd have first century, well, for us, Palestine, but for them, I think it was Italy and whatever other country they've ever used in their plays before um, up on the stage, and we could have done that, but they kind of started to tear it down, and so now it's a bunch of chaos. So uh, help us get used to being in here because I don't know what's going to happen being in here, but we might have actually successfully created the first barricade to keep me from walking halfway down the congregation while I preach. So I might just go back and forth a lot, or I might just rock side to side. Um, I don't know. Uh, I have to move. But it's good to see you guys. Hopefully you'll be able to join us for the lunch afterwards that Chris was telling you about. We like to take some time uh, throughout the spring and summer uh, on Sunday afternoons after church to to get to know one another and to celebrate uh, what God is doing in our church family. And though many of us gather together during the week in, in community groups and, and begin to share life together and, and pursue the gospel and change together, even in those communities, we don't get a really get a good chance to meet everyone. So this is one of the opportunities that we have to get to know one another. So hopefully, if you're a guest, it's your first time, uh, you came on a good Sunday. We got lunch. Um, so come and, and hang out with us, and, and hopefully you'll get a better picture of, of who we are and, and what we're about um, last week, we actually started a brand new series uh, that we're calling Cultivate. Um, over the next handful of weeks, we're going to take our time on Sunday mornings to unpack uh, the values or, or the convictions that we pray to see embodied in the community of Redemption Hill. Um, values and convictions. We spent some time last week talking about this. They never actually just happen in a vacuum. Values and convictions never actually change us just because we bumped into them. Values and convictions are things that have to be cultivated into the fabric of our soul, into the soil of our hearts. They never just explode into being. It takes work. There are things that we value that need to be rooted out, and and the replacement needs to be the convictions and the values that God has, has given us as his people. And so the next handful of weeks, we're going to unpack what it means to actually embody the values and convictions that God has given us here at Redemption Hill. And, and last week, we started by talking about what it means to worship Jesus above, among, above everything else, above everything else. See, it's just one of those things about being, I don't know, maybe it's the gym, maybe it's the heat, I don't know. Um, we'll get fans in the coming months. This must be what elementary air conditioning is like. I don't really know. But last week we started talking about what it means to actually worship Jesus above everything else. And he is our everything. Everything lives and moves and has its being in Jesus. And the expectation is that as our hearts are aligned with him and our souls are connected to him and his worth and his value is cultivated into our lives and into our hearts, the expectation would be that we would respond with worship that all of our lives would be a ceaseless act of worship towards God for who he is to us in Jesus. And so we spent time talking last week about what it means to cultivate a soul, to cultivate our hearts, to worship Jesus above everything else because the reality of it is our hearts will be bent towards worshiping many, many, many other other things every day for the rest of our lives. And so it's gonna take work. It's gonna take intention. It's gonna be a pursuit on our behalf to pursue worshiping Jesus and being changed into people who worship him above everything else. 
And so this week we'll move on to, to the next value or the next conviction or the next embodied conviction that we want to see cultivated in the life of our church. And it's closely tied to last week's and it's treasuring the riches of the gospel. So this week we're going to talk about what it means to treasure the riches of the gospel. Three ideas, three simple things. We'll take some time to unpack them this morning before we go celebrate what God's doing in this church together at lunch. So let's pray and we'll get going. Father, thank you again for the opportunity that we have to be together, uh, called by you to this place, that we might grow in our understanding of who you are for us in Jesus and what you have done for us through Jesus and how you are transforming us by your spirit into the likeness of Jesus, that we might reflect your worth and your greatness throughout this city and throughout the world as you send us out to be your people. And so we ask that in the the precious moments that we have together in this service of worship, and then when we worship you by spending time with one another, that you be honored, that you be glorified, and that you be made much of. And we ask these things in the name of your precious son who gave himself up for us that we could be together, be reconciled to you and transformed into his image. Amen. Treasure. We, We don't often think about treasure as a verb. We, we don't often talk about treasure as a verb, but when you think about it, when you think about the action of treasuring, it's, it's actually a pretty evocative word. When you think about treasure, you tend to think about something very precious, something very valuable, something that you would give yourself up for to obtain and to have, and that you would give yourself up for to protect. When we think about treasure, we think about that one thing or that collection of things that someone would give their entire life up for that they might have. See, actually, the the idea to treasure as a verb occurs about 30-some-odd times in the entire Bible, and they're the word that's translated treasuring or, or to treasure or having treasured something in our lives is actually a word that's often translated as hidden, stored away, or tucked away. You see, before there were banks and before there were safe deposit boxes and secure locations to store things, when people found something of great value, something that was precious in their lives, something that they felt like would transform the life that they lived, that they had to have, that was worth something they would give themselves up for, when they found it, they had to hide it. They had to store it away. Wells Fargo didn't exist. They couldn't just walk down to a local building and tuck it in a box and lock it away where no one else would get it. To treasure something became to mean that you hid it away, you tucked it away, you you protected it with all that you are, with the ferocity with which you valued this thing, you gave yourself up for it. And and so in Psalm 119, when, when we read what David is writing, he says, with all of my heart, Lord, I have sought you. There's a passion, a, a ferocity, a pursuit about his soul that is seeking God. And he says, I have sought you with all of my heart, thy word, your word, I have treasured in my heart. What David is not saying, he's not just saying that the, the words of God that were written and preserved throughout the time of the first century, or even actually before the first century, in the time of, uh, of early Israel, were not just stored away in his heart. They weren't just located in that place, but that there was a passion and a connection and a pursuit that was evoked because of the value that David understood the word of God to have. He's not just saying he hid things in his heart, 
but that he was pursuing the word of God and storing it away and protecting it. It was precious. It was like a treasure to him. Therefore, he treasured it. So we need to start thinking about treasure not just as a noun, but as a verb, and as a verb that evokes a passion and a pursuit and a ferocity towards gathering something, gaining something, and protecting something that we perceive brings great value to our lives. You see, you will always pursue and you will always protect that which you prize as most valuable. Listen again, you will always pursue and you will always protect whatever you prize as most valuable in your life. So when you think about it that way, you already know what it means to treasure something, don't you? I mean, you already know what it means to treasure something with your heart, with your soul. You already know what it means to go after something, to pursue something, to seek something that you think will absolutely transform who you are and the life that you live if you could just have it. You know what that thing is, don't you? You've experienced that emotion. You've experienced that reality. You know what it is to treasure that job, that relationship, that person, that image, that opportunity. Those things that you treasure, those things that you value, the riches that you perceive that they will bring into your life, those are the things that your heart begins to prize. Those are the treasures, the riches that you actually begin treasuring. Does that make sense? So you protect what you prize and you pursue what you prize. And so what are the riches that our hearts tend to pursue? And what are the riches that God is after us pursuing and prizing and protecting and ultimately praising with all that we are? One of Jesus' shortest parables in the entire Bible actually hits this pretty well. Matthew chapter 13, I think it may come up there. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. If not, go there. As long as it probably takes you to turn there, we can probably read it and keep going. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. So just think about it. I don't know how you operate. I know sometimes when I read stories, and especially stories in the Scripture, I'll read them and get the idea, then I close my eyes, and I've got to think about it. I mean, I've got to put myself in there and try to get in the shoes of the person in the story and try to understand what's happening. So think about this story for just a second. If you have to close your eyes, it doesn't matter, it doesn't offend me. Maybe take a quick nap, take a quick mental recess, I don't know. But think about the story for just a second. Ten minutes, imagine this, ten minutes before this man discovered this treasure, whatever this thing was, the thought of actually selling everything that he had, all that he owned, all of his possessions, would have absolutely been foreign to him. Ten minutes before he discovered this treasure, the idea of getting rid of everything he owned and sacrificing everything that was his would have never crossed his mind. And if it had, if it had actually crossed his mind or been a thought that he had had, it would have seemed ridiculous. So within a short second, he would have dismissed it as preposterous. He would have dismissed it as an absolutely ludicrous idea. But ten minutes later, just, just 10 minutes, five minutes, two minutes, the minute before he actually found it, it would have seemed silly. But a minute later, as soon as he found it, 
He was off with joy to do the very thing that just a minute before, five minutes before, ten minutes before, would have seemed absolutely ridiculous. And he was doing it with joy. He was doing it with joy. So what made the difference? What, what made the difference in the thoughts that this man had and the actions that he began to pursue and began to embody? The difference were the riches. The difference in how this man understood what he was doing and the actions that he took that kept him from thinking that this thought of getting rid of everything that he had was absolutely ridiculous to selling everything that he had and getting rid of all of his security that he might obtain the field that this treasure was in was the perceived value that this man had about the fact of, of what these riches would do to his life if he were to obtain them, if he were to actually have them. Suddenly, in a moment, this man found something that would transform his whole outlook on life. It would actually begin to restructure his priorities, restructure his emphasis, restructure what consumed him and what compelled him. His values were transformed in a moment. The riches that this man found and the value that he perceived them to have would revolutionize his soul. It would revolutionize his life. The riches would actually revolutionize the man. Now, before we go off on that too far, there was actually a cost to this guy to obtain this treasure. Now, the simple cost that you immediately think of is the loss of all his possessions, but don't stop there. Don't, don't just read that, that, that surface. Think about it for a second. Put yourself, here you are. You've come across this thing, and in a moment, the value that you understand, what you found to bring to your life has compelled you to go and get rid of everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that, that you have in any level of security, especially in this time. He gets rid of all of it, that he might have what he has found in this field. And he's going to bury it and he's going to protect it. He's going to try to do the best that he can to make sure that no one else finds it. And he's going to go as fast as he can to get rid of as much as he can so he can get back so he can buy this field. But think about what more than that it cost him. It, imagine his family and his neighbors. Imagine going back home after finding this treasure and beginning to sell off everything that you have. But you can't tell people what you found. I mean, he couldn't explain that out there in the field at whatever place he found this treasure that was going to absolutely transform his entire life. He had to go about selling everything that he had, knowing what he knew, while accepting the judgment, the confusion, the whatever his family, his friends, his neighbors would think about what he was doing. If you were his neighbor, what would you have thought? Man comes home, he has possessions, so he must have a job. And he comes home, since he's been gone for a day, half day, five days, a week, comes home and begins selling off everything he has. And you begin to give him a question, what are you doing? What's going on in your brain? Have you, have you lost it? You know, did you meet somebody in a far off country you're not telling us about? I mean, what's, what's going on here? It cost him a great deal. It cost him a great deal of reputation and, a, and of respect. But another way, the cost was very small. The man was actually pretty smart. Right there in that moment when he discovered that treasure, he did a very quick and simple cost-benefit analysis. In that moment, he recognized that what he had found compared to what he actually owned would be worth the cost and worth the price and worth the risk of getting rid of everything that he had that he thought would bring him what he really wanted so that he could pursue 
and obtain this thing that he knew would absolutely transform his life and make him wealthy beyond his wildest dreams. What he did might, might have appeared very foolish at first, but in reality, the benefits of what he did outweighed the costs. It outweighed every cost of looking foolish and seeming foolish so that in the end, not selling everything, not sacrificing everything, not getting rid of everything that he had previously thought made him who he would, would actually be foolish. He did a benefit quickly enough to recognize that whatever it cost him to obtain the riches that he had just found, if he did not do whatever it took, in the end, that would actually be foolish because of the value of what he had found and how it would change who he was and how he would actually live. See, listen to this. What you treasure... What you treasure, what you prize, what you pursue, what you obtain, what your heart connects itself to begins to control you and what controls your heart will compel your words, your choices, and your actions. The riches, listen, the riches that you treasure will shape the responses that you have to the situations that you face in everyday life. The riches that you treasure will shape the responses that you have to the everyday situations that you face in life because you will pursue with ferocity sometimes and you will protect and ultimately you will praise whatever your heart prizes as most valuable. For some people, it's power. For some people, their hearts treasure. They pursue with ferocity and passion and and control situations that give them influence, that give them power and control over people and circumstances. For others, it's approval. Our hearts treasure the riches that we believe that the approval and the acceptance or the respect of other people will bring us, and we pursue it. We treasure it. We go and we seek to obtain it, and when we find it, we protect it with everything that we've got. I mean, imagine what this man would do to protect the treasure that he had found. It's not just that he finds it and he owns it and it's his. Now he's got to protect it. And so part of treasuring means obtaining and then making sure you don't lose. And with ferocity, sometimes our hearts begin to treasure things like comfort. And we do everything that we can to obtain from a a person or a circumstance or a situation whatever we think will bring us the most pleasure. And then with ferocity, we protect ourselves that we may never lose it. We begin to control and and orient circumstances so that no one can take from us what we think we found and the value we think that it's brought us. For for some, it's image. For some, it's image. We treasure this certain look or or a certain body image or or a certain thing that we want to be perceived by. And we go after it. We go after it. We prize it. And then we protect it when we find it. For others, it can be independence. Our hearts treasure the freedom from obligation maybe the obligation to care for someone or maybe the obligation to actually know someone maybe the obligation that we think we that we think the church tries to put on us through religion and and rules and so we seek an independence from god and an independence from the church and we pursue it with all that we are and we prize it with all that our heart has and we fight against the very way that god has wired us to connect to him and to connect to others and be changed by him and our hearts treasure 
at times, this independence. It can be any number of things. The list is actually endless. Your hearts can begin to treasure riches that you think will bring you something that will transform your life the way that this man understood what he had found would change the way that he actually lived. The list of things is is endless. We could go on all morning, but what we pray for, what we hope for, what we work towards, what we're desperate for, our hearts that are cultivated to treasure the riches, the riches of the gospel, to pursue, to protect, and to ultimately prize and praise the riches of what God has done for us in Jesus in such a way, to to treasure them and prize them in such a way that they begin to shape the way that we respond to the circumstances and situations we find ourselves in in everyday life. You see, to treasure the riches of the gospel as opposed to any other thing that might compel us and capture our hearts is is to treasure what God has done for us in Christ to such a degree that it begins to impact how we live. It begins to impact how we understand ourselves and the circumstances we find ourselves in. And so what we're after is cultivating souls and cultivating hearts that can begin to treasure what God has done for us in Jesus in such a way it changes us. And it takes work because there are a lot of other things that our hearts treasure. All of these things, the few things I listed and the many more that we could write up on a board if we had one, that fight for our heart, that our heart prizes in an inordinate way, all of these things have to be rooted out. All of these things have to be adjusted and taken away or put in their right perspective in relation to the riches that come from God in Christ and what he has done for us. So what we are after are our hearts and souls that treasure the riches of the gospel. So just what are the riches of the gospel? Listen to what Paul said, Romans 11. I think he was probably, when he wrote this, I, I wonder what his emotion would have been. I mean, think about this, sitting in prison. Oh, he says, oh. And just think, I mean, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. The depth of the riches. He prayed for the church that according to the riches, according to the riches of God's glory, may God grant the church, may he grant you, he said, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul proclaimed that to me, though I am the least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches. In him, Paul wrote, we have redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. What a treasure the gospel is when we begin to understand the riches that are ours within it. Redemption, Paul said, according to the riches of God's grace. Redemption, when you begin to treasure redemption, prize redemption, praise redemption, begin to understand that instead of being in bondage to sin and in bondage to death, God in Christ has set you free from sin, from Satan, from death, that you might praise him for all of eternity. 
that before Jesus laid himself on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin, we were in bondage to sin in a way that we couldn't do anything about it. But God came and did for us. We always say what we never could do. And redemption means that we are no longer held slaves, held in bondage to our sinful desires, to our sinful hearts, that God has actually cultivated in us a new heart, has taken out a heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh and filled us with his spirit that we might love his ways and pursue him. What if you could begin to treasure redemption? How would it change how you understood the way that you lived? How would it change the way you understood patterns of behavior and thought that you've wrestled with and struggled with for so long and you haven't quite known what to do when you can begin to understand that God has already dealt with this for you, that you can begin to trust him and and praise and treasure what he's done for you? How would it begin to change the way that we actually lived and, and thought? But what other things, what other riches does the gospel treasure contain? How about this? What if we could learn? What if we could cultivate in our hearts and in our souls a treasuring that instead of feeling estranged from God, instead of feeling separated from God and distant from God and never being able to make up the distance in that relationship because of our sin, because of our failure to love him and worship him, that before anything that ever was actually became into being, before anything that's ever been created ever was, God actually called you to him through Jesus. What if you could begin to treasure the reality that God knew you before anything that ever was and he had purposed to call you to himself and he would do that through his wisdom in Jesus? What if when you began to feel separated and distant and estranged and put away from God because you know what was going on in your mind and your heart, you could begin to treasure the riches that God knew you and called you before anything was? His love for you existed long before anything you thought you did to earn it. What if you could actually begin to treasure that? What if we could actually begin to treasure the reality that instead of being condemned by God because of our failure to love him, because of the day in and day out ways that we fail to worship him for who he is and to give him all that we are because of all that he is for us in Jesus, that instead of being condemned by God for our sin, we're actually forgiven of all of it by God because of what Jesus did on the cross by taking our punishment on himself for our sins. What if when you felt so condemned and so weighed down and crushed by the weight of your own disregard towards God, you could remember that God took that punishment that was due you on himself in Jesus so that there's no place for that condemnation to rest on you anymore what if you could begin to treasure that reality in your heart what if you could begin to pursue it to prize it to praise it to protect it with a ferocity with which you go after other things what if we could begin to begin to cultivate hearts that treasured the riches of what God did for us in justifying us in his presence, in living the life that we were created to live and dying to pay the price for the life we live instead and then offering us his perfect life of worship towards God in place of our life of sin. What if we could begin to treasure being accepted by God and made right before God so that our sin could never separate us from God and that he had called us to himself before he ever created anything and made a way to reconcile us to himself through Jesus? What if our hearts could begin to prize that? What if they could actually begin to treasure that? What if we began to see the value of what God has done for us in the gospel in such a way that we would be able to let things go that we might have all that he has given us in the gospel. What we want to see happen is we want to see our souls, our hearts cultivated in such a way that we begin to treasure the riches, the riches of what God has done for us in Jesus. All of these things, 
all of the riches of the gospel, all that are ours because of the wisdom and the love of God, come because of what God did for us in Jesus. The ultimate rich is. What's the word for that? The ultimate treasure. To them, Paul told the Colossian church, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches, the riches of his glory. That's you and I. God chose to make known to us the riches of his glory, which is Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. There is no deeper, more inscrutable act of wisdom that God has ever, ever entertained and ever made a reality than what he did for us in his plan to reconcile sinners like you and me to himself. There is no deeper, more precious, more valuable act of God's immense wisdom than the good news of what we call the gospel in God being for us what we could never be for ourselves in Jesus. The riches, the value, the treasure that's embedded in all those things are what we want to cultivate our hearts to desire, our hearts to pursue, our hearts to prize, and ultimately our hearts to actually praise. The riches, the riches of the gospel are very real. They're very, very real. They're eternally powerful and eternally transformational, but there is a cost. There is a cost to actually getting them. There is a cost to actually obtaining the treasure, the riches of the gospel, and we have to be realistic about it because it will cost us everything. It will cost us everything. Just like this man who realized the value of what he had found, it so captured his heart as he understood what that thing would do for his life that he was willing and even wise to let go of everything, to sell it all, to get rid of it all, that he might have this thing that he knew would transform his entire life. The gospel will cost us everything. But here's the reality. As we really begin to discover the riches of what God has done for us in Jesus, the value that the gospel brings to our lives and the way it changes who we are, it would actually be foolish of us to not let go of everything and pursue it with all that we are. It would actually become foolish on our part to allow our hearts and our souls to continue to treasure the things that we treasure with all that we are and pursue with a passion and a ferocity in our life. It would actually be foolish of us to continue in that path and not treasure what God has done for us in Jesus. It will cost us everything. It will cost us all the things that we think we do to earn the approval and the love and the favor of God. It will cost us our efforts to help God, to encourage God, to enable God to love us because the reality of it is God has already done that in Jesus. As we begin to treasure who he is and what he's done, we pursue that approval, that love, that acceptance through Jesus and not through ourselves and it will cost us the arrogance and the pride that we were pursuing in the way that we tried to approach God before, it will cost us everything. Make no mistake about it. Listen to Jonathan Edwards. He said, there's a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and that God is gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and the beauty of his holiness and grace. Listen to this. 
This gets down to the essence of what it is to treasure the riches of the gospel, to treasure with all that we are who God is for us in Jesus. Listen to what he says. There's a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and the beauty of God's holiness and of his grace. Just as there is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. What it means to treasure the riches of the gospel. It means that our hearts are inclined to pursue with a ferocity the experience and the reality of what the sweetness of God is towards us in Jesus through what he has done in the gospel. Treasuring the riches of the gospel is a commitment to pursuing all that God is for us in Jesus in a way that it exceeds mere understanding, mere intellect, mere information, mere knowledge, the capacity to rattle off all the right things, but to pursue him in such a way that those things begin to shape, compel, and transform the way we understand who we are and how we live and the situations we face every day. It's a pursuit of all that God is for us in Jesus and a recognition of the riches that are ours in Jesus and understanding the value that those things have towards our life and that value begins to eclipse everything. It begins to eclipse everything everything so i'm gonna pray for us this morning we're gonna we're gonna stop short for uh for time's sake and for heat's sake i think some of you about to pass out uh i'm gonna pray for us and and then we're gonna go and we're and we're gonna celebrate what god is doing in our hearts and in our lives and in this church but here's my hope and here's my prayer and and here's what we're committed to towards from this day forward really from the day we started till the day that god takes us home it, we are passionate about pursuing who God is for us in Christ. Every single day that we wake up, there will be a thousand things that will exalt themselves in the place of the gospel that will compel our hearts, compel our souls, compel our minds to praise them and to prize them, to treasure them and pursue them in a way that is only reserved for what God has done for us. Cultivating the soul to treasure what God has done for us in place of all of these things that in their appropriate place are fine and good and right is a lifelong commitment. It is a commitment to know God in such a way that we don't just know of his grace and know of his goodness, but that we know it by tasting it, that we have an experience of its sweetness. And so that's what I'm going to pray for myself and for us and for the church and for the generations to come is that we make a commitment to be a people who pursue treasuring the riches of the gospel above everything else, above everything else, that we might then worship Jesus above everything else. The two go hand in hand because what you prize, you ultimately praise. And we are after cultivating our hearts to prize what God has done for us in the gospel above everything, that we might praise and worship Jesus above everything else. Let me pray. Um, Father, my prayer, uh, really simply, myself and, and for, all of, for, all of, for all of us and everybody who listens and, and everybody who's here, is that you do in our hearts what only you can do and help us to, help us to see now, today, and, and forever, every day, the value the richness 
of what you've done for us and, and, and the treasure that is ours in the gospel. Lord, I, I, sometimes I think I just diminish it. It becomes very rote. It becomes very informational. It becomes something I know I'm supposed to believe and something I'm supposed to help other people believe, but it really doesn't shape and transform the way I understand who I am and how I live, and I begin to lose the taste of the sweetness and the value, and I'm no longer prizing it. I'm prizing what it can get me. And so, Lord, I I pray that by your Spirit, you you do something in our hearts and you help us to, to prize you, ultimately, the greatest riches in the gospel the good news that we get you and that through you, you bring us all these great things, forgiveness and salvation and reconciliation. You call us your own, your own sons and daughters adopted into your family and you promise us a great hope and a great future with you in a new life, in a new world, in all of eternity, in your presence. You give us such great hope. Lord, help us to see the value, to prize the value and to pursue it with great joy. We ask this that that you be made much of through our lives, that as we begin to prize the gospel and it begins to shape our lives, that, we, that will reflect your worth and people will see you in us and be drawn to you. That's our prayer, that's our hope. Help us to be a people that treasure the riches of the gospel. Amen.